This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We come to Mark chapter number 15 this morning. Mark chapter number 15. Excuse me, we'll begin reading in verse number 39, Mark chapter 15, and verse number 39. As we come to Mark 15, we have witnessed the awful suffering of the Lord Jesus upon the cross as he gave his life for us to make the payment for our sin. We see that God was satisfied with that payment. Uh, because after his death, the veil of the temple, verse 38, was rent in twain. It was rent into two from the top to the bottom, thereby signifying that the atonement for our sin was made once and for all uh, when the Lord Jesus shed his blood for us on the cross. After his death, the Bible records that there were witnesses there. And so we'll look at these witnesses in verse number 39. If you'll read there with me. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. I want us to pray together. Lord, we pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. We pray that the word of God would work effectually in our hearts, that you would give us in these moments, eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart that is open. Remove from our hearts and minds the distractions of the day and the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. And make our hearts fertile soil for the seed, the word of God, uh, to grow in our lives and bring forth much fruit and thereby glorify you. We ask this in your name the name of Jesus. Amen. 
as we come to this record after the death of the Lord Jesus, we understand that there are those even in our hour today who would say and have said that Jesus really never died on the cross. They try to explain away the doctrine of his resurrection by saying that he swooned, he fell into a, a state of unconsciousness and was carried away by his disciples and then uh, later on recovering from his injuries uh, then was seen in Jerusalem and thereby uh, saying that he really never truly, he truly never did die and therefore he did not arise from the dead. There are others who would teach that he died but he did not arise from the dead. But as it was reported in Jerusalem in those days, it was an irrefutable fact that the Lord Jesus Christ had died on the cross, and it was an irrefutable fact that he had arisen from the dead. When Peter preached at Pentecost and uh, numbers of people came to faith in the Lord, he preached the message of the resurrected Savior. And the Bible tells us that he was seen of uh, at one time, in one event, more than 500 people had seen the resurrected Savior. And so when Peter proclaiming this message in Jerusalem was not met with any disagreement, there was no voice of disagreement that was even raised at the preaching of Peter because it was an irrefutable fact that the Lord Jesus had arisen from the dead. Now, it's important to establish that the Lord lived and it's important to establish that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again. The reason that it's important is because that is the central message of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Son of God came to this earth, made the payment for our sin, laid down his life for us on the cross, and that he was buried having died and he arose again victorious over death and hell and the grave. <clears throat> and so we recognize the significance of this doctrine. Now, as we come to Mark 15 and verse 39, we're introduced to those who were witnesses at the cross. These would give testimony that the Lord Jesus Christ had truly died. And what we're going to see as we look at these witnesses is that there's a message for the us in this hour and perhaps in the area of our life and as we seek to follow the Lord or maybe you haven't yet determined to follow the Lord uh, these witnesses are uh, messengers to us today and so I want you to note them we'll see three of them first of all we'll see an individual a soldier who was compelled by duty then we'll see secondly a group of women who were constrained by devotion. And then finally, we'll see two men who were concealed. They were secret disciples. They were concealed by discretion. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, a soldier compelled by duty. We see him in verse number 39. And when the centurion, now let me explain, a centurion is a commander. This is a man who had a position of power, and uh, he had a command in the Roman army. He commanded a group of a hundred soldiers. And so the Bible said, when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man 
was the son of God. So here we have a Roman soldier, a man of authority who had stood at the cross and conducted, no doubt, the, the, um, the, the business of the soldiers there as they kept the crowd at bay, uh, perhaps through the arrest of the Lord and through the trial of the Lord and the scourging of the Lord, they had a hand in that. They were uh, making the way as the Lord carried his cross uh, to Mount Calvary. Uh, this man had most likely witnessed all of those things. He certainly witnessed uh, his hours on the cross and his death. And the Bible says that this man who was a, a Roman soldier, he was, he was not there that day by choice. He was, he was there because duty demanded it. But God was working sovereignly in his life that this day when he uh, went to work, when he commanded his soldiers under him, was not going to be like any other day that he had ever experienced. And no doubt he'd seen many crucified, but he would not see any crucified like this man. And when it was all said and done, when the Lord Jesus had raised up one final time and cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. The Bible said he gave up the ghost. And when that happened, the Bible tells us that the earth quaked and this Roman centurion stood forth and he made this bold proclamation, truly this man was the son of God. Now as a Roman soldier, he did not have the benefit of uh, knowing the religion of the Jews, I'm certain that in his time there uh, in Jerusalem serving the army, uh, no doubt trying to keep uh, things running peaceably, he learned much of the religion and much of the culture and the customs of the day. Perhaps he had heard the questioner say, this man uh, claims to be the son of God. But now having witnessed what he witnessed at the cross, he's confronted with the reality of who it was who hung upon that cross. And when confronted with that reality, he makes the bold confession because God had revealed himself to him because a work had been done in this rough soldier's heart, a softening work had been done. He stands forward with humility and he says, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, there's no doubt that perhaps this centurion uh, had witnessed many, many events that led up to the crucifixion of the Lord. Uh, we would imagine that he witnessed the trial of the Lord Jesus. And he heard the accusations that were leveled against the Lord. Now, remember, the Bible says they, they sought for people to, to accuse the Lord, and they found a few, and... Uh, their, their testimony would not even agree. In other words, the accusations that they made against the Lord, it was obvious to the casual bystander that these accusations were false, that they could not hold up in court. And uh, he witnessed that. Uh, then he witnessed as they spoke against him, as they um, 
accused him and as they reviled him and as they mocked him, he heard the indignation and the hatred and the enmity of their voices. And he noticed that there's something different about their vitriol and their hatred for this man. He watched as the Lord Jesus answered not. He was silent and he did not open up his mouth. Uh, he saw that and he, he wondered with amazement that the Lord would not revile again those who had reviled him. He saw that happening. He watched as he was taken to the cross having been, having been scourged and having been beaten and buffeted, having been mocked and reviled by the soldiers. He saw the Lord Jesus as he laid down his uh, body upon the cross as he stretched out his arms and as he was lifted up and as he suffered and, and bled there. He saw it all happen. He'd never seen a man suffer such calamity and such hatred. He'd never seen anything like that. A man who handled it with such grace. He saw the thieves that were on either side of the Lord Jesus also join in on the mockery. And then later to hear one thief say, Remember me when you come in your kingdom and to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus saying, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He heard the Lord Jesus cry out from the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And no doubt he was moved by the grace of that man upon the tree. He saw as the darkness descended upon the earth at noonday, and for three hours, they were enveloped in that darkness. He felt the ground quake beneath his feet. After the Lord Jesus cried out, it is finished, and gave up the ghost. And having witnessed something he had never witnessed in all the crucifixions that he had performed, having witnessed something in this man that he'd never seen in another man, God had revealed to him who it was. It was the Son of God. And he confessed him. And by the way, this was a confession that could have cost him dearly. Uh, you can know that the Jews were not happy with his confession. And they could have gone to his authorities and, and uh, brought him into great trouble. But he didn't care. His heart was so moved by what he had seen. He made the obvious confession that needed to be made. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Isn't it amazing that the Lord uses a Roman soldier, not one of his own, not one of the Jews. He uses a Roman soldier to stand forward and make this proclamation. It was a bold confession. He could have gotten in trouble with the Romans. He could have definitely been in trouble with the Jews, but nevertheless, he made it. It may have cost him his position as a centurion, but he was willing to make it. You see, he was there again out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of devotion. But when he left his duty that day, he had met the one that would forever have his heart, the Lord Jesus. You know, in our churches today, there are people who perhaps go out of a sense of duty. And by the way, we ought to have some duty and some responsibilities in our life. That's a good thing. But make sure that your duty leads you into devotion. As we see the Lord Jesus, as we hear his word, as we reflect upon what he has done for us, may God warm our hearts and draw us to love for him. 
And there are days when we don't feel like fulfilling that duty. There are days when that devotion is not where it should be. But that duty always helps us in that area of devotion. As we fulfill our responsibilities, God is there to meet us. Now, this man had not come to faith in Christ. He was simply there by, um, as a matter of duty, but because of his duty, he uh, meets the Lord, and therefore his heart is warmed and he is drawn to Jesus. And again, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. You've never been saved and you're at church today, maybe because somebody asked you to come. Maybe you just sense the, the need to be here today, and you're not really sure why. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus wants to reveal himself to you personally because you need him. He made the payment for your sin on the cross, and that Roman soldier recognizing all of his sin and all of the things that he was witnessing that were really representative of his own heart and then seeing the wonderful grace of God was a broken man. And here we see a soldier compelled by duty. Uh, secondly, I want you to note the women constrained by devotion. The Bible tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ was arrested, those disciples who had said, we will not forsake you. Remember Peter's bold confession? He says, he says uh, uh, Lord, uh, though all men forsake you, I will not forsake you. I will not deny you, and we know that he did deny him, right? And oftentimes we talk about Peter's denial, but the Bible also tells us that all of the disciples who were present in the upper room, they all said the same thing. They all agreed with Peter that we will not deny you, and the Bible tells us that when he was arrested, they all forsook him and fled. So when he, goes, when he goes to the cross, when he's hanging there upon the cross, as far as we know, there's only one disciple, one of the men that were present there. There may have been others, but we only know of one, and that was John. And John was surrounded by a group of women. And we read about them in verse number 40. And there were also women looking on afar off. Now, they weren't very near to the cross at this point. They had moved back, perhaps because of the danger, perhaps because of the Roman soldiers, but they were uh, afar off. But they were there, and they were watching. And why were they there? They were there because they loved the Lord Jesus the Bible says there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, the mother, and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Here is a group of women who are there on the scene. They are there because they love the Lord Jesus. Now, the Bible names a few of them for us. First of all, we see Mary Magdalene. What do we know of her? She was from Galilee, a region called Magdala. Many suppose that she was not married because of the name that was given to her. She, her name is not given in relation to her family or to her husband. It is given in relation to where she lived. We know that the Lord delivered her from possession of seven demons. He delivered her from these seven devils. 
here was a woman who loved the Lord Jesus dearly and who followed him. Then we're introduced to another Mary, Mary, the mother of James, the less. And this means he's the lesser known of the two Jameses uh, who were disciples of the Lord Jesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, as he is called in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3. Uh, this is his mother, Mary. And, of course, not only is she the mother of James, but of Joseph. And then we are introduced to Salome. Salome was the wife of Zebedee, and she was the mother of James and John. James and John, the two disciple brothers who were known as the sons of thunder. And what we understand about Salome is that she too was a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And she believed in the coming kingdom of the Lord. She's the one who said in, in a misguided notion, uh, allow these two boys, my two sons, to sit uh, on either side of you at the, uh, when you sit in your kingdom. Of course, uh, though she had it wrong and her concept of the kingdom was wrong, we understand that she had faith in Christ as the king and as the Messiah. So here are these three women. The Bible tells us in verse 40, who also when he was in Galilee followed him, verse 41 rather, who also when he was in Galilee followed him and ministered unto him and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. So here is a company of women when it seems like the men cannot be found, guess who was there? The women were. Why is it that we notice often in our churches that uh, very few men come without their wives, but many men, uh, many times women will come without their husbands? It is perhaps that women have a special uh, love for Christ, a place of devotion in their heart, uh, a warmth, a compassion, no doubt that men often do not possess. And what we find about these women is that though they were overlooked in their society, and they were. Do you know that a Jewish woman, her testimony would not even be heard in a court of law. There was no place for her in civic life. And though that is true in that day and in that culture, what we find is that the Lord Jesus promoted the place of the woman, that he noted their service, and that he honored them. And let me just say this, that in the church, there are roles that men and women fulfill. And those roles are defined by God himself. By the way, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we, we are here because God created this planet, this universe, and that God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he made them male and female. God designed men and women. He designed them differently. He designed them to occupy different roles in the family, different roles in the church, different roles in society. And those roles, while they are different, none of them should be diminished. 
And a woman does not have to have the role of the man to find fulfillment, nor does she have to have the role of the man to be honored. And Christ teaches us this here in these verses. And by the way, I think it's important to note that the first witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus was a woman. And the first person to see him in his resurrected state was a woman. And then when the women went and told the disciples and the disciples did not believe their witness, the Lord Jesus reproved them. You see, we live in a society that has rebelled against the order that God has given. After all of these years of human history, where it's been really clear what constitutes a man and a woman, in recent decades, uh, we have now arrived at this conclusion in our society and in our culture uh, that uh, you really can't define a man and a woman by their biological makeup. That you can choose to be any gender that you would like to be and you, you can choose to fulfill any role in life that you would like to choose and you can live in rebellion to God's order and God's definition but it will never bring you fulfillment and it will never bring you joy. And if a woman truly wants to be content in her life and to experience the blessings of God and know the blessings of the Lord upon her life, then she should submit to the place that God has assigned her to. And the same goes with the man. And so we find that in the church, Women have prominent roles and responsibilities. I want you to think about the, 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 the Lord Jesus and his disciples. The Bible says that the Lord did not have a place to lay his head. So who met the needs in his life? Who helped take care and care for the needs? The clothing, oftentimes providing places of shelter, opening their home, feeding the Lord and his disciples. It was this group of women who did what no man could do to demonstrate their love to Christ. And in the moment of difficulty, who remained faithful? The strong men? No. The faithful, loving women who followed Jesus. And so these women were there because they were constrained by their devotion for him. We look at a third witness, and this is not a group, but it's just two men. We had a single soldier, but a group of women. But now we see, thirdly, two men concealed by discretion. These were disciples of the Lord, but they were secret disciples. And the Bible speaks of them in verse number 42. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which had also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. You see, under normal conditions, a man could linger on the cross for at least a day, perhaps two, and even more at times. 
But here we see the Lord has already died. Verse 45, and when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body of Joseph and he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. So here we have two men. Now, the f second man is not named in this portion of Scripture, but he is named in John 19, if you'd like to look there with me, in John 19 and verse number 38. The Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. This is why he was concealed, for fear of the Jews. He besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100-pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So here we find out there are two men involved in the burial of the Lord Jesus. Now, typically, a person who was condemned to die on the cross, after he died, his body could just simply be discarded into uh, Gehenna, into a landfill, or it could be left near Golgotha, and the animals would come and devour what they could of the body. Joseph could not think of the Lord Jesus Christ's body being discarded this way. And by the way, neither could his father, the Lord in heaven, who had already said that he would make his grave with the thieves and with the rich. He died between two thieves, and now it is a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who will secure his burial place. This Joseph had this tomb prepared, and these, these tombs were not like what we would imagine today. We think of a grave in the ground where a casket lies. No, this was a, a tomb carved out of the rock like a cave. You could enter into it, and there could be as many as 60 bodies buried or placed in these graves. Joseph had one. And Joseph, who was a man who was an honorable counselor along with his friend Nicodemus they made up or they were at least two of the members of the Sanhedrin you remember the Sanhedrin or the council was that group that hated Jesus that conspired to put him to death that brought false accusations and eventually condemned him to die upon the cross it was this group but the Bible tells us that there were two in that group who were not present, who did not participate in this condemnation or in this conspiracy. They were two that waited, as the Bible tells us in verse 43, for the kingdom of God. You see, though they were a part of this group, they recognized something. They recognized that the answers weren't with these people. These people who pretended to, to, to worship God, who pretended uh, and, and carried on the outward form of religious life. There was something 
uh, terribly wrong in their hearts. And when these two men met the Lord Jesus Christ and heard his teaching and saw his miracles, they were confronted uh, with how shallow the religious uh, life that they had bought into really was. And they learned that the Lord Jesus Christ was the true and living Son of God. But because of fear of the Jews and perhaps the loss of position, potential suffering that they might encounter, they were discreet, secretive disciples. But finally confronted by the death of the Lord Jesus and the dreadful suffering that he endured, Joseph said, there's no more time to be secret. I'm not going to let his body be carried and placed in a landfill to be picked over by the birds of the air. No, I'm going to get him and give him a proper burial. And Nicodemus said, I'm with you. Notice what the Bible says about them. In verse number 43, the Bible says that he was an honorable counselor which waited for the kingdom of God, and he came and went in boldly unto Pilate. Having witnessed the death of Christ, having it impact his heart and his life, something happened in him to say to him, the time of secrecy and the time of discretion is over. It is a time for boldness. It's a time for boldness. We live in a world that is increasingly resistant to God's truth. There is ridicule against the church there is ridicule for all those who will take a stand. It has always existed, but it certainly is intensifying in these days. I just read this week that the new administration, if confirmed to be truly the new administration, has already been placed under pressure to remove the accreditation of Christian colleges and universities. The reason they're being pressured to remove that accreditation is because Christian colleges and universities that are truly Christian colleges and universities, they believe the Bible. And if you believe the Bible, you are not going to accept this new morality or this new definition of what constitutes gender. You're not going to accept that. And true Bible Christian universities will not receive that, and they know it. And so here's what they want to do. They want to discredit them by removing their accreditation. The question is, when that happens, what will Christian parents do? I've heard many people say, well, I don't want my children to go to an unaccredited institution. Well, I would ask you, who determines who accredits them? Are we looking for the world's approval or are we looking for God's approval? You say, well, I want my children to have every opportunity. I, I certainly do too. But I'm not willing to throw them to the secularists and let their soul perish, though they might have a, a nice life on earth. I'd rather them struggle here and get to heaven and love Jesus. And you see, I think we're facing some real, real persecution and, and some real scorn and some real ridicule. It's already here. And the question is, 
What will you do? Will you just sort of remain an undercover Christian? Or will you boldly take a stand for Christ? Now, you don't have to have rage in, in your voice and anger in your heart to take a stand. But we certainly do not need to shirk in this moment that God has placed us in. And so he comes boldly unto Pilate. Now, just think about that. That cost him. Because that group that he was a part of had just put Jesus to death. Now he's coming and I want his body. And by the way, it'll be from that tomb that the Savior uh, comes again, rises again from the dead. Do you think they're going to have a lot of love and respect for Joseph and Nicodemus from that time forward? Absolutely not. Did it cost them something? Absolutely it did. But did they gain something? Absolutely they gained something. An eternity with a resurrected Savior. And so he came boldly. Let me just say this. If there's ever been a time for boldness, it's today. And again, boldness does not mean rudeness. Boldness is compassionate, but boldness is clear. And it's courageous. And may God fill us with his spirit and his power and with his truth. And may we stand on it. And may we not stumble because of the fear of man. The Bible says that the fear of man bringeth a snare. And so these men brought the body of Jesus and placed it in the tomb. Of course, we know the Lord only needed it for a few days. And then up from the grave, he arose. These are the witnesses at the cross a soldier who was there by duty. He didn't want to be there necessarily, but he found himself there. Maybe today, you don't really want to be here, but God is speaking to you while you are. Maybe he's drawing you to himself. You've never put your faith and trust in him, and today is the day that you need to do that. Today is the day when you need to bow your knee and say, truly, Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God. And I confess that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to save me. That's the confession that all need to make. Maybe you find yourself loving the Lord Jesus. You know him as your savior and, and you, you, you love him. I just want to encourage you to be faithful like these women who were faithful. And by the way, let me just say, we would not have the church that we have were it not for the women who make up this church. Women who open their home. Women who prepare meals for those who are sick. Women who write notes and uh, let people know that they're praying for them. Women who pray. I have a lady in this church who every Sunday morning texts me and tells me she's praying for me. And she'll text the prayer, the prayer that she's praying to me. I can't tell you the strength and the blessing that is to me. You see, ladies, don't buy into this deceptive uh, practice of the world to say that you have to do what a man does. No, you don't. God didn't make you to do what a man does. God made you to do what you do, and you can find fulfillment in him. And your place in the work of God is prominent. 
serving in the nursery, teaching children and young people the truth of God's word, encouraging other ladies, encouraging our children, encouraging your husband, praying for your pastor, singing in the choir or in the group. There's nothing like it. You're serving the Lord, and I trust you're doing it because you love him. You love him, constrained by devotion. And then if we are being discreet, measuring out and weighing out the consequences of our Christian life and kind of backing off whenever we think we need to, that time is gone. It's time to take a bold stand for the Lord. And may God help us to do so. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.